The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Morning, everyone. Um, today, what we're going to do is wrap up our study in John Orberg's series called Soul Keeping. And uh, as I mentioned last weekend, we began this series at our annual congregational retreat a few weeks back. And so we covered four of those sessions during the retreat. And uh, in these two Sundays, we want to wrap it up by looking at this final session today. Um, I mentioned it at the retreat, but I didn't really get a chance to point it out here last Sunday. But this series called Soul Keeping that Orberg did is arguably his most personal series. And it's because it flows directly out of his personal relationship with this man named Dallas Willard, who was an author, was a philosophy professor at USC. And uh, so in essence, this teaching is an encapsulation of what he learned by sitting under Dallas Willard's teaching. And it's all centering around this, this nature of the human soul, the, the, the care of the soul. And so this final session is titled The Practice of Growth. And it really centers largely on Orberg's reflection on the legacy that Willard left behind and what it means to live uh, a meaningful life. Um, He also spends a fair amount of time in this session talking about what has come to be known as the dark night of the soul. And so after the video is done, I'm going to unpack that a little bit and teach more on that. Um, Last week, I only showed about 10 minutes of the video uh, for time's sake, but um, this week what I'm going to do is show the entire 20-minute video that's involved in this session. And the reason is, I think as you'll see, is um, it's hard to know what part of this video to cut out, and so I think it makes sense to watch the whole thing, and then I'll come and do some of my own teaching based on this topic. So let's go ahead and watch the video session, and then we'll go on from there, okay? Stream's keeper had been tending to the stream. I didn't know it was going to be such a heavy service <laughs> coming in this Sunday. Um, the dark night of the soul. It describes the painful sense of God's absence, often in the midst of suffering. Sometimes a crisis, like a death of a loved one or the loss of a job, can bring on this dark night. But in truth, other times it could be totally unrelated to any external circumstances that you're going through in life. Everything could be going just as it always has, and yet that dark night can enter into your life. People who go through this experience often express a feeling of emptiness inside, of even disorientation. To experience the dark night of the soul is to, in essence, journey into the spiritual desert. During these times of the dark night, prayer is often difficult and frustrating, if not even almost impossible. There is a sense that God is not listening, that he doesn't speak. He seems far away, that he doesn't care. And the common reaction when you feel this dark night coming on is to 
to go back to those things that you once leaned on to, to read your Bible more feverishly, to, to sing songs of worship that once brought joy. But these practices can, in this dark night, feel empty and meaningless, like you're just going through the motions. It just doesn't have the same effect on your heart that it once did. It's not uncommon in these dark nights of the soul for believers to go through a crisis of faith, doubting whether God is love or even if he exists at all. Now, let me say this. Of course, we can find ourselves in a spiritual desert because our hearts have grown cold toward God. Because the truth is, we are not seeking him or hungering for him. And there's no doubt that sin can pull us away from God and hinder our intimacy with him. But that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about the dark night of the soul. We can experience this dark night even in the midst of intense longing and seeking after God. The problem is that despite the desperate seeking, God seems to hide his face from us. And if you look through the pages of the Bible, you find this experience is more common than we realize. Throughout the history of the, of the ages of the, of the Bible times, uh, saints in all different generations confessed of this dark night. Job, in his suffering, cried out to God that he couldn't find him anywhere. In Job chapter 30, it says, Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. Surely no one lays a hand on a broken man when he cries for help in his distress. Have I not wept for those in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? Yet when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. The Psalms are filled with the testimony of saints who experience this dark night. Psalm chapter 10, verse 1 says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13, verse 1 to 2 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Psalm 77, verse 5 to 8 says, I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remember my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? In this last psalm, Psalm 77, it's a psalm of Asaph, who was one of the worship leaders in the days of Old Testament Israel. And he remembers the, quote, good old days, when he used to sing and lead God's people in the assembly to praise and worship God. And he, and he thinks and he says, will I ever feel that experience again? Will I ever know those days of joy 
or what it means to open my mouth and sing praises and actually experience that joy of the Lord? Will I ever know those, those days again? Throughout the history of the church, even the most respected giants of our faith have gone through this dark night of the soul. I shared about C.S. Lewis's journey in a previous message of his own dark night when his wife Joy died from cancer. You've got to know the whole story is that after she was diagnosed with cancer, with this bone cancer, they, they went into feverish season of prayer. And what had happened was that Joy had this rather dramatic turnaround. Her health improved 180, and everyone thought she was miraculously healed. And then just as suddenly the cancer came raging back as aggressive as ever and within a few short weeks took her life. And Lewis asked, God, if you were going to take her like that from me, then why did you, it almost feels like you were teasing us to make her healthy for that short season. Almost like you were dangling something in front of us that you knew you were not going to give to us in that season of what appeared to be healing just to kill her off like that. And in his anger and confusion, Lewis recorded his unfiltered emotions that he experienced during that season of the dark night in his book, A Grief Observed. And as I mentioned before, uh, his sentiments that he expresses in that book are so raw, so honest, that when the publishers first released that book, they did so under a different author's name because they thought it would stumble too many people if they realized this was the great C.S. Lewis writing these words of pain and anguish and doubt. Lewis writes in A Grief Observed, Where is God? When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing Him, so happy that you are tempted to feel that His claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember to yourself and turn to Him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to Him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once, and that seeming was as strong as this. What can this mean? Why is he so present a commander in our times of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? Henry Nouwen is another great man of faith who experienced this dark night of the soul. During paradoxically very unlike C.S. Lewis, was a season at least externally of great blessing and fruitfulness. There was absolutely nothing going on wrong in his life when he experienced this dark night. Now in writes of his personal experience, everything came crashing down. My self-esteem, my energy to live and work, my sense of being loved, my hope for healing, my trust in God, everything Here I was, a writer about the spiritual life, known as someone who loves God and gives hope to people, flat on the ground and in total darkness. What had happened? I had come face to face with my own nothingness. 
It was as if all that had given my life meaning was pulled away and I could see nothing in front of me but a bottomless abyss. Just when all those around me were assuring me they loved me, cared for me, appreciated me, yes, even admired me, I experienced myself as useless, unloved, and despicable person. Just when people were putting their arms around me, I saw the endless depth of my human misery and felt that there was nothing worth living for. Just when I had found a home, I felt absolutely homeless. Just when I was being praised for my spiritual insights, I felt devoid of faith. Just when people were thanking me for bringing them closer to God, I felt that God had abandoned me. I want to say, it'd be so easy just to chalk this up to clinical depression, you know, and just dismiss it as that. Is There's nothing that a good prescription of Prozac couldn't fix here, you know. Just if they could just all get on some SSRIs, they would all be okay and God would be present again. I think it's more than that. I think there's something definitely more going on here. Why does God allow us to go into the spiritual desert, these dark nights of the soul? I think one of the main reasons God does this is to teach us how to depend on Him alone. Our idolatrous hearts cause us to form so many unhealthy attachments that damage our soul that sometimes God needs to bring us to that place where He strips away all of those things and leaves us bare. Look at what God told the Israelites about their wilderness years, wandering in the Sinai Desert in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 to 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What God instructs the Israelites is to say, I led you into the desert so that I could cause hunger in you. I had to take away the food that you knew in Egypt and cause hunger so that out of that hunger, as you are instructed by that hunger, I could then feed you, and you could realize that I am the one true source of the nourishment that your soul needs. Look at what Jesus taught his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 1 to 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus talks about a pruning process that needs to happen in our lives if we are going to be the kind of followers that will bear fruit in our life. Basically, to prune a a branch is to cut away part of it so that it will grow back healthier. And I don't know how many gardeners there are here in this room if you do any landscaping or do any work in your own yard. But if you don't know anything about gardening, that pruning process actually looks really brutal, doesn't it? If you don't know better, it actually looks like you're killing the plant, not making it healthier when you prune it. 
Uh, this is from a website that's not Christian or has anything to do with the Bible. This is just talking about gardening, so don't try to read into it. But look at what it actually says about the, the work of pruning. Although it may seem counterintuitive, the best way to get many plants to grow is by cutting them back at certain times of the year. Pruning is a careful, selective process that involves cutting off parts of a plant to improve its shape and spark new growth. If you're wondering whether pruning hurts a plant, the truth is that pruning does wound a plant. However, injuring a plant by pruning doesn't have to hurt the plant's overall health. In fact, pruning stimulates a plant's natural healing process, which promotes healthy growth. Flowering plants usually produce more flowers after pruning. Likewise, fruit trees often produce larger and healthier fruit after pruning. In other words, this pain of absence, of things being taken away from us that we experience in this pruning process are a necessary part of spiritual growth. Now, I know that some of you are getting uncomfortable in your seats and maybe struggling with what I'm saying because earlier we framed this idea of the dark night of the soul as the process of detaching our hearts, uh, uh, just to talk about it as nothing more than detaching it from the idolatries that we so easily get attached to, doesn't really seem to capture the essence of the dark night as we originally defined it, does it? Because in the dark night, it's actually God's absence that is the most painful in that dark night. And If there is going to be one healthy attachment that we have in our life, isn't it God? (laughs) I mean, isn't that the one attachment we're supposed to pursue? So when we're talking about this idea of pruning or God trying to discipline us or teach us, I think there's a logical disconnect here, isn't there? Is if that's God's goal, then what is possibly gained by a sense of his absence? I think the first point that needs to be made is this. Even in these seasons of wandering in a spiritual desert, God is not truly absent. He just feels absent. And one of the reasons why God allows us to go through that experience is because as strange as it may sound, even our experience of God can become an idol that hinders our true relationship with him. Do do you understand that? Think about that statement. Even our experience of God can become an idol that hinders a genuine relationship with him. Eugene Peterson says this, The absence of God was a common experience in the company of the saved. These witnesses to the experience of God's absence in the country of salvation are enormously important. They are rarely celebrated, whether in or out of church, This is not an area of life that most of us take kindly to and not infrequently suppressed. But given our consumerist tendencies to shop for a god or goddess who will cater to our appetites for coziness and good feelings, they are necessary. Necessary to keep us alert and attentive to the mystery of God whose ways are past finding out. Necessary to prevent us from reducing God Almighty to God at my beck and call. Necessary to place disciplined constraints on our spiritual sweet tooth. In other words, what Peterson is saying is these dark nights of the soul are important to refine our faith, 
stripping away everything, even our spiritual experiences, and challenging us to grow into a deeper understanding of who God is. In other words, what I'm saying is we can become so attached to the feelings that we associate with God that we can confuse things and equate them with God himself. God is only real if I experience him in this way. Think about what Satan said to God when he has permission to take everything away from Job and cause him to suffer. In Job chapter 1, verse 8 to 9, it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And then look at what Satan replied. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. You see, Satan was challenging Job's most basic understanding of God. Who is this God that Job worships? Does he truly worship you for who you are, God? Or does he worship a figment of his own imagination of a God who is there at his beck and call, always there to bless him, always there to give him whatever he prays for and wants, wealth, a prospering family that is burgeoning in every direction, all the cattle and goats and sheep that he could ever want. And here is the truth. When Satan took away those things from Job, Job did become totally disoriented. And he almost lost his faith. But through that harrowing journey into the dark night, Job ended up discovering a much deeper picture of the goodness of God. In other words, sometimes God brings us into a spiritual desert to show us that He is still God even when we don't have those warm feelings of His presence or when everything isn't going the way that we want it to and not everything is working out in our favor. Through our journey into the dark night, God exposes all the false images and beliefs that we have about him. Through these dark nights, God is challenging us. Am I there only when I do whatever you ask? Am I there only when your expectations are met or when you feel moved inside? As you heard in that video that we just watched, when John Orberg was going through his own dark night of the soul, Dallas Willard told him, this will be a test of your joyful confidence in God. And as he writes about that experience, he said, I did not miss the challenge in this sentence. All the more goading for its gentle phrasing. Not just my confidence, my joyful confidence. Human beings around the globe had been suffering a year ago and I was capable of joy then. Why should I consider my own suffering grounds for a crisis of confidence in God when I don't react the same way to others? If there is a God who is worthy to be the father of Jesus, I can trust giving this situation as well as my own feelings joyfully into his hands. If there is not, I have infinitely bigger problems than a mere human circumstance. Either way, it is true. This will be a test of my joyful confidence in God. Do you, do you understand what Orberg is saying? He confesses that there was obvious human suffering all around him, but just because it didn't touch him, he could rejoice in God's goodness. 
And he never questioned it. But in that dark night, God was inviting Orpah to find that joy in those happy days, even when things were not going so well for him. When circumstances had changed, he was being invited to realize God is still the same. God is still good. God is still there. God allows us to undergo this painful pruning process because what he values most within us is our soul. So challenged by that testimony of Dieter Zander, in one moment, a high-profile worship leader of what was then the largest church in the U.S., every weekend leading thousands of believers into raucous worship of God, and then in the next moment, unable to speak, unable to use his dominant hand, sitting in a stockroom of a Trader Joe's as a stock boy, discarding and packaging bruised fruit. I want to look at that quote that comes from his biography, his autobiography that Orper read in the video. And it says, Xander says, it is good that I work there. I am like that fruit. I am imperfect. Inside, I am the same person, the same sense of humor, the same thoughts. But my words betray me. What should take three minutes to say is an hour of frustration. People lose patience with me. Aphasia means aloneness. But God hears me. My world is small and quiet and slow and simple. No stage, no performance, more real And then he says, good, good. This is good. I needed this. My soul needed this to understand this. Orpric says, we all have two worlds, an outer world that is visible and public and obvious and an inner world that may be chaotic and dark or may be gloriously beautiful. In the end, the outer world fades. We are all left with the inner world. It is what we will take with us. I am an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's glorious universe. The problem is that there is this unceasing tendency for us to nurture that outer world rather than the inner world. But as Orpric says, you know, the older you get in life, the more that outer world fades away, right? Your beauty, your strength, your physique, your athletic prowess, your wealth, your prestige. You know, you get to your 60s and you're not the most valuable person in your department anymore or your company. That outer world begins to collapse on itself. And all that remains is that inner world. And the question is, what are you nurturing in your life right now? That outer world or the inner world of your soul? In caring for our souls, at times God will disrupt our outer world in order to get our attention. And the most extreme version of that is the dark night of the soul. But no matter what circumstances we face, or even when it may feel like God has turned his back on us, we never have to have that fear that he has truly left us. 
And the reason that we don't have to have that fear is because Jesus entered his own dark night of the soul when he hung on a cross. By going to his dark night, we know that God is always with us. That's the faith that Job expressed even in his pain when he says in Job 19, verse 25 to 27, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Let's pray. Um, I, I don't know, for some of you, uh, you may have never really experienced what I'm describing. And so, for you, you may be disoriented by this message saying, wow, that sounds horrid, you know? And I hope I never have to go through that. And if you haven't gone through that dark night, then you are blessed, okay? And, you know, it's great. And don't feel like you're missing out. But I want to say it's pretty hard to get through life without going through a season like that. Um, even as your pastor, I confess, I go through these extended seasons of darkness. Um, so, what I've heard told to me repeatedly is, uh, your brain races too fast for your own good, you know? And since high school days, I've been so immersed in books on philosophy, and there are some seasons where that darkness overshadows me in ways that are crippling. And I, I fall to my knees, and sometimes I, I ask, is there really a God out there? I don't know, you know? Um, and in those moments, I don't understand why God doesn't just come and rescue me out of that. Because I have known some unbelievably intense moments of worship and feeling His closeness and feeling His love. And I wonder, why isn't it there all the time, God? Why is it that sometimes I beg and I beg and you don't answer. Why is it that I, I, I need you in that moment and I'm asking and you don't answer? And again, it's because what God values more than anything is this soul. And at times he will allow that pain to be inflicted in my life to purify me and to do away with these false images of God that I have crafted in my own heart and in the rawness of that pain to show me who he really is. And in that dark night, as Orprick says, sometimes there's just nothing you can do. Prayers don't work. Reading the Bible doesn't help. All you can do is wait and search and listen and learn and maybe in that moment you have to be humble enough to ask others to pray for you when you can't pray for yourself and say I need help maybe you are going through a season of darkness like that in your own heart right now and can I just invite you to enter into that night confident in the goodness of God even though you don't feel it in your emotions or in your heart, what I would say is look to the cross of Jesus Christ and see your Savior hanging there. 
and realize that because of what He has done, there is nothing that we have to fear. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Can I just invite you to pray for a few minutes and our worship team is going to come up and lead us in a time of response. So let's just come before the Lord in honesty and let Him know what is on our heart.